still going strong. He's still going strong. Yeah, yeah. He's still going strong. Remember Ned Stark? He was a lot of fun, so but fun. he didn't make it past season one. Robert Baratheon was part of that crew, but he never made it to season two. The King of the North was cool, you said. Another favorite that ended up dead. You thought that Joffrey had to survive. He ain't in the credits for season five. Baby, you know I'm the man for all seasons. Characters get cut for various reasons. Some people's parts just ain't very long, but not me. I'm still going strong. He's still going strong. Is coming. You're listening to the Watchers of Westeros. I am the king. A Game of Thrones podcast. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Fire cannot kill a dragon. Lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of a sheep. Also heard the phrase. A Lannister always pays his debt. For the night is dark and full of terror. What good is power if you cannot protect the ones you love? We can avenge them. Hello again, everybody. And welcome to another episode of The Watchers of Westeros. We're back, finally, at the buzzer! We're finally here for our episode, talking about Season 5, Episode 6, Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken. A controversial episode, and we will be getting into all of that here today. It's going to be an interesting discussion, but we've got some fun stuff planned as well. Plus, we'll be talking about all the other things that happened in the episode, and what we thought of them, and how they play into bigger pictures, what's coming up, what are we looking forward to. It's going to be a great show. We cannot wait to break down, unbowed, unbent, unbroken with you here on the Watchers of Westeros. But first, introductions are in order. My name is Dominic, and joining me, as he always does, is my good friend and co-host, Kieran. Kieran, how are you this week? Hey there, Dominic. I am doing absolutely fantastic. I really have... Well, I've been extremely busy like you have been lately, actually, for (laughs) different types of reasons. I've just finished my exams now, so it's a bit of a chilled time to an extent. Apart from now, suddenly all the social events are kicking off. And Uh. um, as as we're recording now, I've just come back from a mini golf tournament, which has ended in a complete (laughs) debacle for me as I've ended up winning the wooden spoon, which is what one wins for when they come last place. So it wasn't great. It wasn't – the day was fantastic, but my performance wasn't great. However, I'm hoping that my performance will be ten times better on the show tonight. I know you've been very busy yourself as well with – new job now yeah yeah listeners who haven't heard about dominic's new position yeah well i I, that's right this week i got a new job and that's kind of why we're recording this 
you know, just hours before the episode, the next episode airs on HBO. <laughs> it, it really is. It's, it's, it's 3 PM Eastern in the afternoon and the episode airs at nine. Uh, and, and that's because I got this new job and it basically threw a wrench into all of our plans for this week to record podcasts. Uh, we've, you know, but don't worry. We've figured things out more or less and we'll be back next week at a much more usual and amicable time if you want to listen to the episode before the next episode comes out. Uh, the next episode of Game of Thrones, that is. So, uh, it all should work out from this point on. But yes, I did get a new job and, uh, well, it's going to be a, an interesting summer for me. But enough about that. Let's talk about Game of Thrones. Let's just start. Now, we, we know there's controversy, and we are going to deal with that pretty pretty much right away. But before we do that, let's just start as if this were a normal episode. Let's just start with our overall impressions of Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken. So, Kieran, I'll throw it to you. Overall impressions of the episode. Overall impressions. Now... Initially, of course, this episode has sparked a little bit of controversy. And initially when I watched this episode, I I thought it was intense, thought it was very dark, uh, particularly towards the end of the episode, not just with the Sansa stuff, but also the stuff that which also considered the High Sparrow and the trial, the inquest, I should say, of Solaris. They were particularly intense moments in this particular episode. I I really enjoy this episode actually, and there's been different interpretations, or at least different attitudes towards this episode. It, is, it seems to be a bit like Marmite. People seem to love it or hate it. I'm I'm not going to say I loved it, but I thought it was a good episode. I also think it was developing a lot of storylines which have been built up already this season. And I have a feeling that simultaneously these situations are going to spiral out um, and really just explode in terms of in terms of not just significance, but um in terms of as i said again this word intensity i think it really is beginning to develop into a really exciting conclusion to some of these story arcs um, namely the Cedis Loris stuff the boltons up in the north i think the Tyrion and jorah mormont scenes they're beginning to take shape now as we see them move on into um, it looks like they're going to head off to Marine in the fighting pits. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing resolutions to these now. And I know for most people it's been a bit of a slow burner, but I did think that a little bit more was revealed in these episodes than ha- has done the previous this season. I thought Lord Baelish, for example, and his scene with Cersei was fantastic. Uh, again, we already know what Lord Baelish's character's like, but to see where his motivations and ambitions truly lies is slowly and, and steadily being unveiled to the audience. Overall, I therefore, I think my initial impressions of this episode were that this was a very good episode, and... I know that this is going to contrast, therefore, with what you're about to say is already speaking off air. I'm I'm getting the impression that you aren't the biggest fan of this episode. No, yeah. Unfortunately for for me, this was possibly one of the weakest episodes to date. 
I, I, I really was, was not a fan of it. And, it, and it, it, to be honest, it, it just felt a little bit predictable in, in a lot of, in a lot of cases there, there didn't feel, I didn't feel that anything really changed too, too much in the way things are going. I, I feel like we just saw more extensions of, of things we've already seen. And in a lot of ways, I just felt this episode kind of was, was going over old territory. The only sort of thing really kind of, you know, there was some, some moments here and there as always, all these episodes have their moments. That's the thing. They always have strong moments. Uh, but there were a couple of standout weak moments <laughs> in this one. And particularly it was in the water gardens. Uh, there with uh, with with Romeo and Juliet. I'm I'm I mean uh, Marcella and that uh, <laughs> Terrell guy. I don't I can't remember his first name, uh, but there with them. And then when when Jamie and Braun showed up and the Sand Snakes showed up, that may have been the worst action sequence in the entire series. It, I I it didn't feel intense. There wasn't I didn't feel a sense of danger for any of the characters, and it just wasn't all that well shot either. I, I didn't think it was well shot or well paced. I, I don't think it really worked out all that great. But that being said, there are there are some other moments and we'll we'll get to them. And, and I have some interesting theories about some of the symmetry between uh, what Arya was doing and what Sansa was doing in these episodes. Um, and uh, of course, we have to uh, we we will talk about the uh, the end scene, and that's where we're going to start. So we're going to. To start at the end, and I've got the last line in my notes here, is uh, Ramsey rapes Sansa with Theon watching. So we're going to start there. Now, we know this is an intense topic. It's something that a lot of people feel very passionately about, and we're going to get into it. We're going to handle it um, as delicately as possible, but, you know, without, you know, without holding back either. So we're going to, going to get into it. Um, but, you know, there was also something really great that came out this week <laughs> it was for red nose day there was the uh cold play uh game of thrones musical featuring many many members of the cast and, and one of the uh, great comedians of our time john oliver once did a bit on his show where they were dealing with a tough tough topic so as a reward for getting through it they would all watch uh some adorable little youtube video so uh as a reward for getting through the, the tough topic at the beginning here, at the end of the show, we will talk about the uh, hilariousness that was the Coldplay Game of Thrones musical. So, how? Uh, well, let's just go over the scene real quick. So, it, it's right after Ramsay and Sansa get, get married. And it, it, was, uh, it was an interestingly played scene. Uh, you know, it starts with, uh, with Ramsay kind of doing what he does and, and being kind of that, that nice kind thing before pulling the rug out from under you. And, you know, a couple episodes, a couple episodes ago, we talked about Theon and Ramsey and I was kind of complaining that it felt, it felt, I just dropped my phone <laughs> with all my notes. And, uh, but I was, this is how passionate. Yeah. Getting passionate. This. Yeah. And, and I was saying, you know, it felt like, uh, you know, we were getting used to Ramsey just not doing anything that 
we were expecting him to do something evil and he wasn't going to do something evil. And finally in this episode, they did reverse that where it seemed for a moment there, it seemed he was not going to um, be himself in that moment, but he, uh, he turned it around with what was just a, a, a brutal scene and has caused a, a lot of people to, or I won't say a, a lot of people, but a, a, sig- a not insignificant number of people to say enough is enough with the show. Uh, you know, we've seen another uh, female character being raped and, and, you know, there's even, even the, the website, the, the Mary Sue, which is a website I have a lot of respect for. Uh, has said they're not covering Game of Thrones anymore, which is an interesting choice. It's an interesting situation because, well, again, this isn't the first time. And and so I think the really strong reaction to this, whereas some of the other stuff that's happened before, and, you know, the people that are on the other side of the issue um, say, well, you know, Game of Thrones has featured incest and beheading and, and rape before, like all of these horrible, horrible things and people haven't sworn off then. So we have to sort of, so one of the questions is sort of, why is this different? And I, I have a, I have a couple of theories about this. I think one, this season has been a lot slower than past seasons. And, and so people are getting a little bit frustrated with it. I, I, I do think that's, that's the case. I think uh, there's a bit of that going on. I think secondly, it's not in the books. It, it, this scene was not in the books. This is one of the things I keep reading. It's not in the books. The scene happens, but it doesn't happen to Sansa. So you're you're making a pretty big diversion from the source material to have a have this moment. And and thirdly, it's because Game of Thrones has done rape scenes before that don't seem to serve any purpose other than shock value. And that, I think we go back to season four with that with the Jamie and Cersei scenes. Uh, so I, I think those are the sort of the, the key things that are, are causing people. And, and it's specifically that third one that, you know, once a show does that, where it, you know, does something horrible um, like that to a character and then doesn't really deal with it, doesn't seem to affect anything. It, it loses a lot of trust with people and people are not so willing to say, OK, well, obviously, they're, if they're doing this to this character, there must be a reason in her story. Not in Theon's story or in Ramsay's story, but specifically in her story. And that's, you know, sort of the focus here is that how does this affect Sansa going forward? And that's what we need to see. And so I'm going to throw it over to you in, in, in just a second for, for your take on, on this. But the other thing I want to say is there are people that say are, are trying to make the case that it, it wasn't a, a rape. And I think we should be abundantly clear it, it was. <laughs> There's no debating that. It was absolutely a rape. People are saying, well, she wasn't saying no. She wasn't saying no. Well, she wasn't saying yes either. That's that's the thing, right? There's, there's a difference between accepting your fate, which is kind of what she was doing in the scene, and giving consent. And she may have accepted her fate, like this is this horrible thing that's going to happen to me. But still given the choice, it would not happen to her. So it, it was definitely a rape. So there's no debating that uh, at all. And... The other thing is, the scene is supposed to be uncomfortable. It's not supposed to be a fun scene. It's it's supposed to get, it's supposed to be bad. This is not something we should celebrate or anything like that. So, you know, that's that's the other thing is that anytime a rape happens on screen, it's supposed to make the audience feel uncomfortable because we all know that this is a bad thing that is happening. So I, I'm going to throw it over to you. I wanted to get get your take on that scene. 
that scene, of course, is spurred, as, as you've rightly said, so much debate and controversy. And I really like the key points you've raised there um, when we're talking about why is it that this scene in particular has created such negative reaction towards Game of Thrones as a TV series, not just in terms of the episode, but in terms of people saying, oh, like the example there of the, of the website that doesn't want to even consider reporting about it anymore. And I think the three points you raised there are very, very crucial in that regard. And sorry, uh, I, don't, I just want to clarify one thing. I'm not dismissing anybody who says I'm done watching the show. That is absolutely your decision. Oh, I'm no, not. I'm not dismissing. Not I'm, to say I'm not dismissing anybody who say saying, "Oh, well, they're just unhappy because it's not in the book." That's not what I'm saying. You absolutely have the right to your opinion. Absolutely, uh, and and I under and from a certain point of view, I absolutely understand where you're coming from. I have one more point that I'm going to make after uh, after I let you uh, give your give your thoughts, Karen. Okay, and uh, yeah, again, I agree and echo your sentiments that you've raised there, Dominic. In terms of the scene itself, then, if, if we're going to analyze it a little bit in depth as to, in, in part, well, not just why the reaction was caused, but what was so dark and intense about it. Um, of course, as we said, it's a rape scene. No one can deny that. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we see that it's another sign of Ramsey's sadistic and vindictive nature being put into practice. Uh, but yeah, we, we have already seen this before, though, and, and to an extent, in a much worse regard towards Reek. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if, we're, if we're really going to go down deep into it, Reek was was strung up, flayed, had his downstairs area chopped off, <laughs> and yeah. has been living in a kennel like a dog for a couple of seasons now, and well. The fact that he's even termed Reek instead of Fionn Greyjoy now just symbolises this real disdainful attitude towards him and the downfall of Fionn Greyjoy. Of course, it's a little bit different in the sense that Sans is married now to Ramsay and it's supposed to be wife and husband. And to an extent, Sansa is more safe than Reek because Ramsay can't... Well, he... He can't really kill her can't kill because her, but... she needs because the Boltons need her as a real status symbol to legitimize their hold over the North. But then again, ha- but, but then again, there are fates. They... There are fates worse than death. You know, yes. like to quote the Inquisitor from Star Wars Rebels season one. Oh yeah, well, that, 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 I was going to feed it to my point. Just oh, because go, go such that she can't die doesn't mean that the, she can't be pummeled and. And rate and and we see that in this episode taking shape, for example. Yeah. But what I would say is that I do believe that this scene is going to be hugely significant in the development of Sansa's story arc, the development of Theon's story arc, and what I predict to be the downfall of Ramsay Bolton. Mm-hmm. I really think that it's it sounds bad, but the audience, in a way, need to be taken to a dark place where we loathe this character, Ramsay, so much. And we it's reminding us once again of, OK, he has been 
quote unquote quite benign this season in comparison to the Ramsey of season four and season two at uh, season three. Mm-hmm. But this is still Ramsey Bolton here, and he is a fiendish, a villainous character who is really just sick in the mind that he says to Reek, you know, you stand there and watch whilst I rape Sansa. And you see Reek there just, or Theon Greyjoy, just bawling his eyes out at the at the sheer horror of this scene, yeah. which is truly horrific. Um, and, and, that, and to me, that feeds on part onto Theon Greyjoy's story arc. And therefore, to kind of briefly appreciate this, we may dissect it a little bit more in terms of the grand significance of it, but to link onto your earlier point that you were raising, Dominic, about why is there such a reaction to this particular moment? And is... I. Uh, it is really a, a lot of it is based on the factors that you've raised there. It, I don't necessarily think it is the scene itself because if we do analyze uh-huh. the scene in a bit of depth, then I can understand why the creators of the show have used this scene. And, and okay, we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I I can predict a few outcomes to this, um, uh, particularly from what we've already seen this season, and and there will be a resolution to what's happened here. There's no doubt about it. But I do think that, as you said, to some people, the season may have been a little bit slow in terms of the momentum that's been built over the course of the last six episodes. Yeah. Furthermore, in terms of the fact that this is deriving, deriving, I should say, um, from what the books actually had been put had put in place is also frustrating to mainly book readers of course and then finally i would say that um you know the other factor that you've also raised there in terms of the fact that we've seen rape scenes in the past that don't necessarily have that significance that people don't that that the scene isn't then reconsidered or or we, we return to that scene and and deal with what's just happened I agree that's happened in the past. Yeah. But I really think that before a lot of people think, let's not watch Game of Thrones anymore, I'm going to turn it off. It's getting not farcical, but it's getting too dark, it's getting too intense, and this is not what I want to see on my television screen. I would implore people to watch the next episode we haven't seen it but watch the next episode to see what happens after it because if they if they don't deal with this situation in a in a professional or rather i should say in a mature manner i don't don't want to say professional because that because they know what they're doing they're they're really key writers but say that they don't do it maybe they 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 leave it and and they and they just say it happens Mm-hmm. then perhaps I can understand a little bit more. But I do think that this scene is going to play a pivotal role in the story later on. And you do have to consider the characters which are involved here as well. Ramsey, we know who he is already. Theon, again, look what he's become. And for Sansa, it's it's completely disheartening and distressing. But I also think that if Sansa had made a move at that time and it had gone wrong... She would have suffered. She knows what's happened to previous Ramsay betrothal, but women who have been betrothed to Ramsay. I think that at this point, she, she doesn't want to, but she kind of has to accept this now rather than lead into something far worse, mm-hmm. which could happen sure. with Ramsay Bolton. But uh, that, that's kind of my 
take on the scene and and agree as i said i've agreeing with a lot of your points there about the main factors which have contributed to this outpour of such you know negative reaction really yeah and there's there's one more factor i mean uh you know absolutely i think season's just to recap yeah, season's been slow not in the books been done before so you know it's, it's the saying was it once bitten twice shy or you know fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me so a lot of people you know feeling like the show has you know it's already done a, a rape scene that was not dealt with it was just sort of left hanging and we we haven't really returned to that moment and it was done purely for shock value and so that's that's not good to just do stuff for shock value that's poor storytelling that's you know it's it's like those movies that just have the complete random twist at the end that don't really mean anything uh you know it's it's not good but the the other main thing is that, that the game of thrones is also coming into this this world where pe- you know our our world where a, a lot of times in fiction stuff just happens to female characters not to further their story but to further just the story of the male characters around them and and that's not right like that's not how we should tell stories. I think that's, that's wrong. Um, and, and so people are concerned that this may have been done purely to further Ramsey's story or to further Theon's story and not so much to, to, to further Santa's story. And I think you're right. We have to see what happens next. We have to see how this is dealt with. We have to see how this affects these characters, specifically Sansa. And, you know, Sansa has been a, a victim all her life. And, and, and that's the other thing, you know, we've, we've seen her this season go from, you know, being a victim. She was Joffrey's play thing for two and a half seasons, basically. And he was just horrible and tormented her and did all these horrid things to her. And now, you know, in, in this season, we're finally, finally seeing her start to move away from that and to then take her from that sort of moment where she's moving away from her, from that and just, you know, to then have her have this happen to her, completely. Um, you know, it, it it seems like it could completely undermine all the growth that she's gone through. Now, it's it's again, it's still a matter of how it's dealt with next, and that's something that I think this season has has suffered from a little bit. And that's something, you know, I have some theories about this season uh, that we'll get into once it's done, once we see how it wraps up, because I don't want to I don't want to share them and then sound like a moron next next week when it goes in a completely different direction but when we when we wrap up when we do our season five wrap-up show i'm gonna i have a couple of theories about why this series this season has gotten some less than ideal reviews and and why it's been moving at the pace it's been moving at and why it it feels somewhat different from previous seasons and and so we'll, we'll get into that then but absolutely just to you know return to return to this it it's again it's you know, it's it, Game of Thrones is is carrying the baggage of so many stories that have been told before it, and you know this is a time when people are standing up and saying we don't want our stories to just be you know about about male characters. We want stories about everybody. And again, that's right. That's I I totally agree with that. I want that too. Um, and so when something like this happens, it can be easy to look at it and say. Well, here goes Game of Thrones. We're gonna rape Sansa just so we can see what happens to Theon, and that's not our. That's well, we don't know if that's the case yet. We have to see the next few episodes. We have to see where Sansa goes, and we have to see how she reacts to this moment. We didn't have that chance to see her react yet. You know, the 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 scene 
was happening and then it went to black it cut to black and you can tell when something big has happened on game of thrones because it cuts to the credits and the credits are silent they're silent that's what happened when ned stark was killed what happened when when the red wedding took place it goes to the credits and and it's silent at first so this is another this is a huge big moment possibly you know could it be a turning point could it be something like that but at the end of the day what has to happen is that we have to see that it affected Sansa some way and it has to further her story and as well as further Theon's story you know it should further further everybody's story anybody who has to witness or be part of such a horrific scene so a horrific moment that has to impact them and we should see how it impact them so again it just it cannot be forgotten the same way uh the Jamie Cersei scene was last season and and that more than anything is what we need to see and so I, I again, I understand completely where people are coming from when they're with their frustrations about this episode and the way it was dealt with. I, I'm just saying uh, we need to just be a little bit more patient. We can't jump to a snap conclusion right now. We have to see how the rest of this season plays out. And if they don't deal with it by the end of this season, then, yeah, absolutely. Uh, then then I, I don't know if I would, would necessarily stop watching the show. I think I've got a little bit too much invested in, in all of the characters but I would be very frustrated. I would not be happy with the show and we would be looking at a maybe not so a not so great review for this season and maybe not being as excited for next season and, and that kind of stuff. So it's it's a it's a matter of just seeing what happens next and, and we'll find out, you know, at, as of the time of recording, about five hours. <laughs> we'll we'll see if they deal with it. And I really hope they have to deal with it this week. I hope if the plan was to not deal with this, this week, to not include Sansa this week, because they've been doing that a lot. I mean, this episode had no Danny and no Jon Snow. So like they've been doing that a lot where they, they'll just take a week off for some characters. Um, I, I hope if they were planning on doing it, having Sansa's week, week off be this week that they recut that episode and put her, her stuff into this week's episode and, you know, took, Arya's stuff to next week or or you know took Tyrion's stuff to next week just to 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 you know make sure that this stuff gets dealt with right away because it needs to be it it can't be left hanging because there are so many people that are upset with the show based because of it and the show needs to show those people it needs to win their trust back that they didn't just do this for shock value and they didn't just do this to affect the male characters in that room they need to show that it affects Sansa in a big way so that that's Really, I think that that's all I have to say about it. Um, and do you want to add anything else? I don't think I could have said it better myself, to be honest. So I will. I think we'll, we'll probably end it there. Otherwise, our whole hour show could be yeah. on that one scene. It is. It's, well, it's, it's a, so it's, important to yeah. touch upon it. I completely completely agree with it, and I think we have done it in a mature and and uh, in in as much depth as as possible. Really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, so now we, we've dealt with the end of the episode. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's start uh, from the beginning and let's let's talk about Arya. And we'll, there's a little bit more uh, Sansa talk to be to be done, and and I think it ties in nicely with with what happens with Arya in this episode. We're going to talk about Arya because I think this because I have I have a little I have a little theory about something here, and it uh, uh, I don't know it may not be a good one. We'll we'll see. But Arya in these episodes she uh, she's still in that the in the faceless men's temple or or what have you she's still cleaning bodies and uh she's starting to get frustrated and then there's that great scene where she's being 
uh, interrogated by Jack and Hagar. And, uh, you know, she's saying she hated the hound. She hated the hound. And, um, and Jackin is, is saying she's, she's lying. So right off the bat, um, what, what do you think this says about, about Arya's character? That this person that she wanted dead, she wound up, after having spent so much time with him, she wound up not hating him. Even though she says she hates him, you know, Jackin can pretty much see right through her that perhaps there was some, some level of respect, begrudging respect between the two of them. Uh, you know, it, 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 does it change your view on, on the last two seasons, really? No, I think that it re- represents an evolution in Arya's character that she isn't so narrow-minded and stubborn as one would at first perceive her to be, mm-hmm. in the sense that Arya, since round about season two, has on a daily basis, cited the names of those she wants to kill in terms of vengeance. And the Hound has been on that list because of what he did to the butcher's boy in season one by killing an innocent. And she finds it hard within herself to accept the fact that in the last season, the Hound was protecting her and they were building a, a bond because, in a strange way, there were similarities in their terms of their characteristics, or at least in terms of their outlook on on life. And what it does show us, or the, what it shows the audience, is that at the end, Arya doesn't kill the Hound; she takes his money. Mm-hmm. At first, it could be construed as Arya being so cruel as to not killing him because that, that that's what he was asking her to do. But what we can interpret it instead is that it's really Arya finding it uh, difficult or she's unable to within herself kill him. She, she doesn't have the will to mm-hmm. do it. And I think that's what was more interesting with that particular scene. And, it, as I said, it re- represents, at least in my mind, the fact that Arya, as a character, is evolving, and and she did see the Hound as a sort of mentor figure, the same way she sees Jacques and her guard to an extent as a mentor figure. She's clearly upset, and she gets angry with Jacques and her guard. She did with the Hound because of this constant ambiguity surrounding what the trials really are and what why is she there what does she need to do to progress onto the next level it's all very unclear and puzzling to her there's so much mystery surrounding where she is this, this house of black and white mm-hmm. but i do think that there is still as you said rightly this begrudge and respect towards these mentors who have provided value to her in in developing her her life experiences. I don't, I don't know what your interpretation was of that scene. Do you want to enlighten upon it all? Yeah, I, I thought that scene was, was really interesting because it, it kind of, it makes me wonder sort of part of becoming a, a faceless man is almost coming to terms with your reality um, so that you can shed it. You know, it, it's part of it is, is being able to lie. 
Um, but I think in order to be a, a successful liar, you have to, you know, sort of understand where you really are. And I think that's part of the lesson that was being taught there is that Arya had to, you know, she has always put on this, this image of, of wanting to kill people and, and kill all these people. And it's, it's true. I, I mean, I'm sure she would not hesitate, uh, if she got a, was ever got a shot at, or ever got a shot at Cersei or even the mountain or, or any of these other people that are on her list. But I think, you know, she had always presented herself as hating the Hound, but like you said, I think there was kind of a begrudging respect, and I think you started to get that a little bit towards the the later seasons, as the as the two of them sort of worked and worked together, and and I think both of them came to begrudgingly respect each other. And I mean, Arya didn't want to go with Brienne of Tarth at the end of last season; she was more inclined, it seemed, to stay stay with the Hound, which really, I mean, knowing those two characters. You'd probably most people would probably be better off with Brienne of Tarth. I mean, she will. She for one, she killed the Hound, but but and she's also just generally kinder than he was. Not that he was ever uh, uh, an unkind character. I mean, he was that character that always presented was always presented as being evil. But anytime you ever actually saw him do something, he was doing good. I mean, he he saved Sansa back in season two. He was always protecting Arya. He was always kind of aiding our heroes while presenting himself as a villain, which was which which was always interesting and and something when we get when we finally get back to uh, you know looking back at seasons uh, three and four uh, when once season five is over, that's something that'll be really interesting to watch with this new light that's been shone on it because because of what Arya said here and so I, I think that was was really interesting. Now keeping with with Arya, she then. Uh, comforts that that girl, which was a um, very interesting scene. Now, it, again, I think this comes back to the lying thing. Um, so, why do you think that Jakin Nagar is, is this? Uh, you know, kind of like being a, a Jedi Padawan, where you're not ready to be a Jedi Knight, but you're also kind of ready to be out there. Um, but you're ready to be out there and, and fighting someone, keeping the peace, quote unquote. And and where you know Jakin Nagar says to her, you know. You're not a girl may not be ready to become no one, but she's ready to become someone else. And, and do you, is again, is it the lying that's just what let her be ready? Is that was that your take on that? I uh, I hasten to use the word lying because mm. it is it it's difficult to necessarily construe. What what it is that makes a faceless man? What are the main characteristics? What are the main features which are necessitated to become a Yak and Hagar? Mm-hmm. In part, yes, one could argue that it is providing a false truth, mm. uh, being able to, as you said, form a line clearly to that girl she she's trying to comfort her make her feel better and she's able in that respect to portray one persona of herself to this particular child even though within her she possesses another persona and and I think that's what Jack and Hagar is, in a way, is trying to get to. She's not ready to become nobody. She's not ready to completely relinquish her title of Arya Stark. But 
as we see in that scene, she's able to become somebody else, mm-hmm. or at least to portray herself as somebody else to a stranger, a stranger who has no knowledge of Arya Stark, who has no knowledge of who she mm. is and, and, and what her position is within this temple. And it's definitely a skill which Akan Hagar seems to adhere to and, and, and seems to find important and in in the development of becoming somebody else. But I to me, when Yakan Hagar permitted Arya to see the temple of the of the faceless men see all the faces on the walls it 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 to me represented a, at least a progression mm. in the trials of Arya Stark that she passed a test she she moved on to the next stage but i i wonder whether you could answer this i wasn't too sure whether that meant that being able to become somebody else is a progression on a progression uh, in the path of becoming a faceless man, or whether it meant a progression into something else. Mm. What did What did you make of that scene? See, I, I I thought it was you know a progression into becoming sort of a, a faceless man, because even Jack and Agar. I mean, you look at him this season compared to when we saw him in season two. He's, he's he seems to be quite different. Um, now that could just be the fact that he is basically at home in these scenes, where he whereas he was. Uh, you know, captured off doing something else in the previous in, in season two. So th- there's that. I think it is a progression to become a faceless man because I think part of becoming a faceless man and perhaps part of becoming nobody is getting used to not being yourself. And in order to become to not be yourself, you have to somewhat become someone else. And so by ha- letting Arya essentially become someone else by whether whether that's putting on their face or or, or what I, I guess that's what we're led to believe by that scene is that they essentially climb into their body uh, which is creepy and interesting and and I, i'm still not fully clear on how it works that being said i don't necessarily need to be fully clear on how it works all that really matters is that she's training to to do this and and she's progressing and that's really more than anything i don't really care how it's how it's physically done i mean i'm, I'm interested but it's not uh, necessary to the story but i I think in order to become nobody in court in order to just have no personality she has to learn how to act as somebody else because that's essentially i guess what the um the faceless men do is they will put on somebody else's body and act as them for a time being and you know if if she's she can't be Arya stark uh, while wearing somebody else's body you, you have to act like somebody else because eventually you will come across somebody who is you know smart enough and wise enough and will understand what's going on like if if Arya, you know of course tywin's dead now but if Arya were to come across someone like tywin he may be able to see through a disguise like that because he is you know smart enough to recognize that hey this reminds me of that servant girl this this person reminds me of that servant girl what if it's actually her you know who knows what tywin's life experiences are Perhaps he would understand the faceless men and, and that kind of stuff. But, you know, you can't just be yourself in somebody else's skin because that will eventually some somebody will be tipped off to that. Maybe not right away, but eventually. And so, again, part of it is becoming comfortable in somebody else's skin and becoming 
and acting like someone else, not acting like yourself. I guess lying was probably the right, the wrong term earlier. It was acting. Acting is the <laughs> is what she's doing. She she get an Oscar someday. Um, <laughs> but that's sort of my take on it. I think it is becoming a faceless man. I don't think there's something else. I think I don't think Arya will ever become specifically a faceless man. I think she will learn their tactics, but I think she will continue to be Arya Stark. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing in these episodes. For as much as she may learn the tactics of the faceless men. She is still and always going to be Arya Stark and she will eventually emerge from the house of black and white and, and play some larger role in future seasons. Uh, but that, that's sort of where I come from on all that. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I as we said, the term acting de- definitely seems more apt to portraying this different persona and how that's really going to, feed into the development of her story arc, it's, it's going to be interesting. Perhaps the next time we see Arya may not be played by Maisie Williams. Yeah, that would be, now there would be a twist. There would be a twist. But I think part of that thing is, is, is with Arya is that I think, you know, they're keeping, keeping Maisie Williams around. And I think that's part of the reason I think that she will, she will never actually become a, a faceless man. She will, you know, continue to be Arya Stark, even if at times she's somebody else. But I, I think that they're going to keep that character around and that will sort of be the cue to the audience that, you know, for all she has learned, she is still Arya Stark because they've still got the same actress playing her. Um, but there's one more thing about Arya's story. And this is what I was talking about when I, I wanted to tie it back into Sansa's story. And I wonder if there was a little bit of foreshadowing here that something bad was going to happen to Sansa. Because in at the beginning of the episode... When Arya is dealing with that girl, she's cleaning her corpse and we see her, you know, cleaning her hair and we see the, the hair, the water dripping out of the, the girl's hair and into the, into the bucket outside the, or off the, just off the slate that she was cleaning it from. And later on in the episode, we saw, we see Sansa uh, having her bath and Miranda is doing essentially the same thing to her hair. So I don't know if that was foreshadowing. Um, that something horrible was about to happen to Sansa or if it's foreshadowing something down the line where Sansa Stark may be killed. Um, but I, I thought that was interesting visual symmetry. Um, I don't know. Did you pick up on that? Sorry, you mean the the visual symmetry between yeah, Arya, Arya cleaning and... a, a, dead, a dead body and, and Sansa being cleaned at the end of the episode? Sort yeah, of... I could. that's that's quite an interesting connection actually yeah. between those two particular characters. I didn't actually think of it that way. Um, this was a second it, viewing thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that those two, the two characters, well, of course, they're interlinked. Not immediately, one would say through bloodline and heritage, and mm-hmm. the fact they're part of the same family. But it is quite interesting to see those two particular characters have. A large portion of this episode centered on those two and really as you said exploring the parallels between um aria in a way cleansing a the body, body which yeah. in an effect is allowing her to appreciate and understand a little bit more about what it takes to become a faceless man and really not uh, it's kind of formulating a, a new identity or a, a new perception of the world um, and as you said, in the same way, perhaps the, the, the Sansa has been cleansed um, through, well, the bathing and um, particularly through the way that Miranda was washing her hair, Sansa's hair. And it was really dripping. The black was 
Ooh, that's an interesting was oozing, thing. Was oozing out of the hair, and she was really retaining, once again, her stark colours. I thought that was quite an interesting one, actually. That's, that's, one, that's one interpretation that you can take of that particular scene. Yeah, yeah, I, I think... I, I think those scenes were meant to echo, you know, and, and mirror each other in, in an interesting way. That's another, that's a, that's another good, good idea that, that you know, Arya is, is trying to learn how to be someone else, whereas Sansa is trying to regain her, 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 her own sense of self. That's, that's an interesting sort of twist. I was looking at it for more of a, 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 a dark future in store for, for Sansa because, you know, she, she's having the same thing done to her that we saw have a, of a, a dead body be, you know, go through that same process. Um, now that being said, it is just cleaning, and everybody has to do that. <laughs> um, so I don't know if, if I wash my hair. I guess that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to die. Um, <laughs> not immediately, at least. But I thought perhaps it was sort of a either a symbol, symbolic sort of gesture that you know something terrible is about to happen to Sansa because we're seeing the same thing happen to her that we said all happened to a dead body. Whether that is. Um, you know what we talked about at the beginning the rape scene or something down the line where sansa could wind up dead um but that being said i I also like your idea i think that that's almost better (laughs) i think that that's a really cool idea that's a really cool interpretation of that scene i love it uh but let's let's move on from from aria and talk about let's talk about Tyrion and jorah because uh we, we see in this episode we see uh, Tyrion raises a bunch of concerns about Daenerys, and uh, I'll be honest, I've been having some of these concerns myself this season, where, you know, he's kind of questioning why Danny should lead, and is she ready to lead, and and all that, and in this season, you know, we came into it, I, I sort of felt very much like, like Jorah, you know, she is the one, she is the ruler, she will win, and I think that's definitely how we should see this going, but as this season has progressed, Again, to, to to quote Uncle Owen, she's got too much of her father in in her at times. With some of her decisions and some of the way ways in which she's been behaving this season, has made me question if necessarily she's the best choice. Again, we don't really don't know. There's still more to come. There's still more learning for these characters. And again, it's it's a matter of seeing where things go. It's not we can't just make the snap judgment based on the one scene. It's all about what happens next and how it's dealt with next and and that's sort of where we're going but i thought it was it was cool it was interesting on of the show and in in a character like Tyrion, you have that option to raise those same questions of is danny ready to lead and once you know yes she could i think we can all agree that with dragons she could pretty easily claim the iron throne but what happens next? Are we looking at a return to the Mad King or are we looking at a good ruler? And that's sort of the question we've been dealing with this season, I think. And I thought it was really cool of the show to vocalize that. And so I, I want your take on, on that scene between Tyrion and Jorah, where, where you know, Jorah's saying, you know, I saw this. He almost had this religious moment, for lack of a better term, where he, he, he saw danny step out of the fire and, and now he's you know devoted his life essentially to following her whereas Tyrion is he hasn't had a moment like that and he's sort of been been he's basically been kicked around his whole life and he's a lot more cynical than jorah and and to sort of to see that that see those two playing off each other and have those questions raised i thought was really interesting well, i think we'd see two main things in that scene which I thought was quite interesting 
One was the the qualities that those characters have and could really help Daenerys with in the sense that I think we see with Tyrion that he has a lot of wise counselling and this idea of him being so far-sighted as to look into the future and say, well, how are you actually going to achieve this usurpation of the throne? How is this going to last in the long term? Some questions that possibly haven't really been asked before because no one has ever really considered what happens after. It's more immediate getting to to acquire the Iron Throne. Yeah, and and I think we we kind of saw a bit of this with Rob Stark, you know his his um his wife his his his, his lover in, in season three she was I'm blanking on her name but his, his wife she was saying, you know okay so you go and and kill Joffrey then what and he, he basically said I don't know and you, you get the sense that a lot of these people are living in the moment which is good I mean people should live in the moment but they also when you're planning an invasion like this you also need to and again, it's good to live in the moment, but you also need to have a plan for down the road. And Rob Stark didn't have a plan for down the road. And we saw that because he lived in the moment. He married that woman. And as a result, the Red Wedding happened. He betrayed Walter Frey, which was a bad decision for his future because it meant he no longer had one. And so we're kind of seeing perhaps something similar happening with, with, with Danny and that, you know, she, she claimed this throne, um, in where is she now? Volantis? Marine? Um, Dan Daenerys is in Marine, Marine. still, is she not? Yes, Marine. Yes, I, I, I get the. There's so many, so many place names. <laughs> She's in Marine, and she has claimed this throne, and she didn't really have a plan for ruling afterwards. And we've seen some of the problems with that this season. And I think it's good that Tyrion is going to meet her because you know she's now she's had this experience of okay, this is what happens after I claim the throne, and now Tyrion will challenge her, perhaps reminding her of what has happened in Marine when they're planning an invasion of Westeros. So I I think it's it's good that they're kind of having these these moments where they're challenging the, their characters to to do something more than just plan the invasion. And again, you, you kind of get the sense that perhaps even even someone like uh like Stannis doesn't necessarily have a have a plan for after he claims the throne or or even uh even even Littlefinger you wonder what his full plans are he seems like a guy that's pr- planned things pretty far out in advance so he seems like he's the one and, and we'll talk about him in just a second that he seems but he seems like he's the one that's kind of got everything moving he's playing the big chess game and he's figuring things out um but but yeah so I, I, you know essentially and there are a lot of parallels to be drawn between Tyrion and, and Littlefinger at times in terms of their ways of manipulating people and, and, and that kind of stuff. So I think it's, you know, we're seeing in this moment why uh, Danny needs someone like Tyrion to, uh, you know, challenge her to make different decisions um, than what she's been making so far. Because right now, because for a while there, she was surrounded by... By yes men, by people who were just sort of saying yes, 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 Khaleesi, we'll we'll do that. Yeah, we'll 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 attack, and they didn't really come up with a plan for once they attacked, which is a mistake. A mistake. They didn't have a plan for afterwards. You need a plan for afterwards. That's that's the moral of that story. Um, but then we we got to the thing with the the pirates, and uh, that for me, I mean, it was a funny scene. 
we got to see Tyrion, you know, working his magic, and we saw saw uh, Jorah getting his getting himself out of, you know, you're getting himself into a better situation. I don't know if necessarily a good situation to have to go in the, in the fighting pits, um, but it was, you know, it it, it felt just a bit like a, another diversion that we didn't really need. I mean, we've been spending this whole season trying to get to, uh, trying to get to, uh, trying to essentially unite Tyrion and, and Danny, and you know, first we had Jorah kidnap, kidnap Tyrion from his time with with uh, Varys, which uh, you know was it, it has led to some interesting stuff going down. But now we're having another kind of twist in that story, and it it, it does kind of feel like it's just kind of it's just going a little bit too slowly, and that's something that's been. There hasn't been enough. Like, I don't know. Like, again, that scene, it didn't show us anything new. It just showed us what we knew already. You know, we already knew that Tyrion could talk his way out of anything. We already know that Jorah's a great warrior. And it felt a bit perfunctory. Like, we just need to get Jorah into the fighting pit so that he can see Danny again. It's the kind of thing. Kind of thing. It, it, I would have almost rather seen them, seen Tyrion and Jorah continue on on their adventure by themselves and it, it felt like a bit of a, a another diversion that we didn't really need i mean the bit last week with the with the grayscale i think it adds a great deal to Jorah's story i think it adds uh, a whole nether layer to him and his quest to find Danny again um but this it, it didn't feel necessary it didn't feel like it added anything new it, it if anything, it just kind of felt like perhaps we were going over a bit of old territory. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you throw in your two cents. I know you like this episode a lot better than I did. So, what was your take on on the pirates? The, uh, the not pirates, uh, slavers. Uh, scene. I did. I like the irony actually of the whole scene and scenario in which Jorah was captured by slavers, even though previously mm. he was indicted for being a slaver himself. Very true, and to and to see how that situation really unfolded—that now Jorah has to be the one to put himself forward and 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 really be a, a slave in these fighting pits. How is this all going to unfold? Is I think there is a bit of significance to this, although as you said. Seems the main aim is to unite Tyrion, Jorah with Daenerys once again, and it seems a little bit convenient that the slavers have, have found them and are now on their way to the fighting pits. Um, yeah, it's it is a little bit, but I I'm hoping there's a little bit more to that story as a result because. Why? Why bother having Tyrion? Um, yeah, why? Why not just have Tyrion and Lord Varys traveling on the road to Marine, and they arrive and la di do da. There's <laughs> they're, they're they're all they're all sorted, aren't they? Because they met up with Daenerys. It's it has to be realistic. And <laughs> sorry, continue. <laughs> Yeah. It has to be realistic, and I I do like this idea that they have been found by other types of people, uh, such as slavers in this particular region, because everyone talks about how tangible slavery is 
within or across the narrow sea, and we're actually seeing it at work for once. Yeah, good point. I, I, that, 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 I think enough. I think that's important to note that there is a lot of there's presence of this, and even though technically these fighting pits are for freedom fighters, I don't think the slavers themselves see the differentiation between the two. I think they really just feel, see the fight, the reopening of the fighting pits as an example of great. Let's acquire more slaves. Obviously, the main purpose with Tyrion and, and Jorah was not to fight in the slaving pits. But if the opportunity arose that they did have an expert, skilled source within their midst, then they would put them in the fighting pits and they could make more profit out of it as a result. That's what I conjecture with regards to that. I, I, I it, think there was substance to it. Personally. Yeah, it does. It all it does kind of tie back as well to uh, to last season when there was that elder uh, former slave who was pleading to Daenerys to you know say look. I, you know, I may have been a slave, but I had had a better life as a slave than I do now. Please let me go back to my master and work for him, uh, teaching his children and 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 living there and and you know doing what I liked. And you know, she agrees to that under the uh, you know the pretense that he signs a one year contract to work with his master. That it's you know it's a job, it's not slavery. And and Sir Barristan, Sir Barristan, you know, warned her the you know, the masters will abuse this power. And I think in this scene we are seeing a little bit of that where we're seeing these slavers perhaps abusing the return of the fighting pits. They can pretend that their fighters are free men when in reality they are actually slaves. So that's that's a that that is a, a bit of a, it does add a little bit of context perhaps to what Sir Barristan was saying last season. Uh, I, but again, to me, it it it, it felt. A, a tad unnecessary. I, I I would have rather. I I was I was just enjoying uh, Tyrion and Jorah tra- traveling together. I I thought that was interesting. I thought they were challenging each other in interesting ways, and I, it, this felt like we were diverting from what had been a really interesting pairing to do something different. Um, that felt less like it was advancing characters and just advancing the plot. And I think we could have advanced the plot and advanced characters by just having those two travel with each other to Marine and gotten into the fighting pits somehow themselves. But again, then again, they are also adapting books and, and perhaps this is how that played out in, uh, in one of the song of ice and fire books. And again, we haven't read them. This is a, a podcast that is hosted by non-book readers for now. Uh, and we'll, and, and perhaps it will play out differently again, have to wait and see. Um, but in the moment for me, that scene didn't play out all that well it, it wasn't something that i was overly thrilled with but let's let's uh let's trans let's go over to uh to uh well let's talk about the you know the uh the moment in the water gardens with uh the Ty- tyrell and, and uh marcella lannister and so there's obviously a great deal of, of love between the two of them and and we see the um we see uh Oberyn's uncle, or Oberyn's brother, Oberyn's uncle, (laughs) getting these, oh, there's too many characters, Ah, I'm too old for this, no, I'm just kidding, Um, there's there's a, Oberyn's brother is watching them, and it seems that this kid and uh, and Marcella, this this, uh, this, uh, Martell and, and this Lannister child, they are actually in love, and they could bring peace to two warring families, perhaps, and again, this goes back to something we've been talking about for all of this season that really it's, it's starting to seem like things are going to fall on the next generation of characters to fix the mistakes that their previous generations made. And this seems like a a real opportunity for those two characters to, to do that when 
we see in these episodes the older the elder the older generations of their families you know Jamie and the sand snakes they want both of them to they they both have the same goal to break these two up to separate them because they want well the Lannisters just don't t- trust the um, Martells and the sand snakes want revenge for the death of Ober- Oberyn so on the one hand I, I did like that aspect to this scene but I mean I the fight was just um, was just pitiful. I'm, I'm sorry. I thought that was one of the worst action scenes, uh, or the worst action scene of, of the series. I, I, I'll, I, I think again, you have a, a much higher or, or a much better view of this episode than I do. So I'll, I'll let you talk on, on, on this scene and, and see if you can convince me that it was, a uh, that it was better than I thought, because I, I did like the whole, again, I, I like this whole idea that we're starting to see that you know, it's the older generations have screwed things up and we're starting to see the younger generations sort of acknowledging the, the flaws of the older generation and, and trying to work together. Um, or that's where it seems to be going. And this may have been our first glimpse into that when we see a, a young Martell and a young Lannister, you know, willing to overlook these, the, you know, sins of their families past to be together because there is obvious affection. There's love there. But um, for the latter part of the scene, I will throw it over to you uh, to see if uh, if you can again see if you can convince me. It's a challenge. I'm throwing down a gauntlet. See if you can convince me. Well, first of all, I will to an extent concur with your thoughts regarding this scene. I felt that not necessarily how it was executed, but more the the plan itself was what frustrated me really. The, there was no plan. There were, exactly, there was no plan. It was a stupid idea in the first place. <laughs> I do like the, what you're talking about with the uh, idea that peace and, and coexistence between different houses is really what this is leading to as, as the ultimate resolution to a lot of these conflicts, and we may well see that take form in the later seasons. But with regards to this scene, You've got Marcella and the Martell youngster together as a pair. And they've been in a water garden. I don't know why they've been in a water garden like every day to not do anything else. It's but a anyway, place. That's, I guess that's neither <laughs> here nor there. The point is, though, they're in a water garden. Those two individuals, Martell and the Lannister, daughter of, of Cersei. Marcella. And we, yeah, Marcella. And we've got Bronn, Jamie, and the Sand Snakes all arrive at the same time. Now, that I thought was pretty cool at first because you're like, oh, yes, great. We've got stories beginning to merge. We're going to see the Sand Snakes and the uh, perhaps the Tr- Sand it's, Snakes it's mistake Tristan, Bron and Jamie for guards. Yeah, sorry. I'm just going to say it. it's a Tristan Martell. Tristan Martell is the young man. There we go. Tristan Martell. Yes. Sorry, continue. <laughs> so we've got those stories. You think like, those stories are going to begin to merge. But why on earth do they both execute their plans in the water gardens, which we could already see with Mar- Dora Martell sitting on his high chair, is the, the, is the most open and exposed area <laughs> in Dawn, probably. It's, this seems to be at the hub of the capital. And they're just going to go, well, walk in there and say, yeah, sorry, come with me. Uh, you surely do it at a time where it's a little bit less conspicuous, maybe in the dead of night or when Marcella's out and about on her own. I, it just seems a little bit foolish and, and unfought as a plan. And so I'm glad that it was relatively quickly 
this uh, it, it was it was really resolved very quickly when the royal guards arrived and and arrested them all. But and, and I, the, in terms of the in terms of the action sequence itself, I to an extent agree that it wasn't it wasn't the best. Um, it could have been improved. Although I, I and partly the aim was to show that the sand snakes were of course relatively skilled warriors against the likes of Bron, Jamie Lannister. Sure. Although, again, Jamie Lannister's only got one hand, so <laughs> what does that really showcase? We also see, however, what I think is more important in that scene is that there's a spear uh, from one of the Sand Snakes which manages to clip the arm of Bron. Yeah. Now, if we can refer back to the episode with... Well, the Mountain and the Viper, yep. as well as an earlier episode in season four in which Oberyn Martell talked about the weapons of Dawn and the poisons that they use. Well, one of the main devices that they utilize is placing poison on their spear so that if you get if you get sliced with it, you will be infected by this poison and relatively slowly over time, it will kill you. And it doesn't. That means you don't have to have necessarily a fatal wound in the same way as just stabbing someone near the heart or in the arteries or the veins. You can just stab them anywhere, and it'll have a a, a a strong and massive impact on harming them in the same way because they've got this poison in their system. Oh yeah, Bronn so, is a dead man walking <laughs> at this. Yeah, point. I would say so. I and because also the camera really panned and focused in on that for sure to make it clear to the audience that he'd been he'd been stabbed yep. or uh, at least he'd been sliced so i i fear that that's that's really what that's going to lead to so i think there is a little bit of significance to that scene in terms of how it was executed oh, yeah, there's, there's it could have been improved yeah. but i don't think that it's necessarily as uh pitiful as you've made it out to be <laughs> now i again you know i'm not saying there wasn't significance to it I just felt, uh, you know, kind of like the, the Tyrion and Jorah thing with the with the uh, slavers. It, it felt a bit perfunctory that it was it was just there so we could move on to something else, and it didn't have the weight I think it should have. I think it, it should have been a, a much more significant scene, whereas it felt like it was just this very small, very short, very poor poor fight between these these five characters, and I, I just don't think it, it worked out very well. I think. It's going to have huge ramifications, but it, it just felt a little bit l- less than necessary, uh, if you know, or less than it didn't carry the Im- impact that it should have. Not that it wasn't necessary, it was, but it, it didn't carry the same impact that I would have liked it to have had. Um, but I do want to say one quick thing, you know, about you're, you're talking about the fight being, you know, that perhaps it was was not the best idea. You know, they kind of acknowledge that earlier on in the episode where, where Jamie says, I like to improvise. And we've seen that before. I mean, his fight with Ned Stark going back to season one was a pretty bad idea and, and just something that just kind of happened in the middle of the street. And it led to him having to run away and caused all sorts, all sorts of other problems. And, you know, it wasn't really the most well thought out plan. And he's done other things that are kind of along those lines. And, and Braun kind of calls him out for it. You know, that explains the gold hand. And, and I did like that little bit. But yeah, this th- that scene was not the uh, the best. I, I didn't think it was the best, and I I would have liked a, a little bit more from it. But oh well, that's I, I I'm interested to see 
where it goes next because we have all, we have the sand snakes are are taken prisoner we have uh oberon's oberon's wife is taken prison prisoner jamie and braun have been taken prisoner and braun like we said is a dead man walking so we're, we're it, it, there's a lot more to play out and it'll be interesting to see uh if they pick up that story tonight or if uh if it's if it's uh dealt with in a future episode okay let's let's move on and uh talk about what went down in king's landing let's start with uh with Littlefinger, because he was the first to arrive in uh, in King's Landing. And so he goes and he has this meeting with Cersei. And Cersei is, is trying to secure the Knights of the Vale as uh, as warriors for the, for, the, for the crown, should she need to defend uh, King's Landing from Stannis Baratheon or someone else. And, and Littlefinger not only uh, promises the, the Knights of the Vale for that, but he also says that he will take the Knights of the Vale to meet whoever wins the battle between Roose Bolton and Stannis Baratheon, the Battle of Winterfell, which we assume is is coming somewhere down the line here. It's got to happen soon, right? Right? Um, but in doing so, so he, he asked to do that so that he can be named Warden of the North. But in doing so, he seems to betray Sansa and reveal that Sansa is still alive to Cersei. Which, of course, Cersei blames Sansa uh, in part for the death of Joffrey and wants, uh, wants Joffrey or wants Sansa's head on a spike for various reasons, not the least of which, again, death of her child. So we're left with that situation. So we see that happen. Now, do you think Littlefinger is. So this raises the question of who is Littlefinger actually serving here? Because we've seen him doing this stuff before. This is kind of his shtick where he's playing kind of both sides and you don't know whose side he's really rooting for until everything plays out. And I don't know if I'm just hesitant to ever trust this character because of what we saw happen. Really, you know, he was the first the first big betrayal of the series was him betraying Ned Stark. So I'm I'm. In in these scenes where he's dealing with Sansa Stark, you kind of have to wonder, you know, is he really on her side? And we've just met the first half of this season playing him up as a good guy, as him being on her side. And then he basically gives up the fact that she's alive without any pressure, with like just gives it out willy nilly. Um, and does is is this is Sansa is he? Oh, the question is, who's he going to betray, Sansa or Cersei? Um, uh, what's your take on that? First of all, I have to say that at the moment, Littlefinger is slowly becoming becoming my favourite character on <laughs> Game of Thrones, and I, I just love the the conniving, cunning, and manipulative nature of this character. That he is playing this chess game where he's always one or two steps ahead. It sounds not terrible, bad, but it's one of the reasons that I I do like. Darth Sidious in Star Wars, for example, because sure. of that that way that he's able to be the puppet master and really orchestrate and engineer a lot of what happened within the Star Wars universe in terms of creating the Clone War and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But for Littlefinger, what the way I viewed this scene, which I thought was fantastically acted between the the, the actors who played uh, the actor who played Littlefinger and the actress of uh, Cersei I thought that um, Aiden Gillen and Aiden Gillen and Lena Headey uh, that's the one there <laughs> Lena Headey and Aiden Gillen I thought that was that was played off fantastically between those two characters yeah. because we really we get to see Littlefinger 
using his knowledge to his own advantage. And he's playing he's playing the, the number of sides against each other so that he ends up coming out on top. What Littlefinger has done so well here is ensure that whatever happens in this Battle of Winterfell, he comes out on top. Mm-hmm. Whatever happens. Yeah. He secured an alliance with the with the Bolton family through the marriage of Sansa Stark. So if the Boltons end up being victorious, then he has uh, allegiances with them still. But Littlefinger doesn't just want that. He wants the title of the Warden of the North for himself. So if the Boltons do secure a victory against Stannis, then he's got the backing of the Lannisters and ensure, and he's now been assured that if Littlefinger was to take the Knights of the Vale to attack the, as he put it, the victor who has to lick their wounds so yeah. they'd be quite vulnerable then he'd be able to take the fortress of Winterfell and the North for himself and the Lannisters would back him as and see him as an ally. So he's preparing for, for different situations. Obviously, if, if Baratheon wins and Stannis, then perhaps he'll do a similar thing. But what we do see more, most importantly is that Littlefinger has grander ambitions than just letting Sansa be married to the Boltons and securing an alliance with the Warden of the North. He wants to become the Warden of the North himself. That's what we see in this scene. That's what we see as one of his greater ploys. And, of course, then if he does ascend to the title of Warden of the North, what else will that lead to? He'll have a vast amount of opportunities. He'll also have a strong alliance with the Lannisters. Suddenly, I mean, Littlefinger has already been a relatively big player, but then he'll become a, a massive, massive player on the big stage of this world of Game of Thrones. Hmm. Unless, perhaps someone was to take that mantle from him, which uh-huh. could well be Santa Stark. But in terms of the relations between, as you put it, um, you know, is it Cersei or Santa Stark, which Littlefinger is more allied with? I would say Sansa all the way. Why would he trust Cersei and why would he even have any fondness towards her? If you remember that scene in season two of episode one when those two were having their jibes, uh, against the idea of power is knowledge and no power is power. Right. You know, she was threatening him and being intimidating towards him, hardly in an affectionate or friendly manner. I, he has no loss, love loss, I don't think, between... There's no love loss between those two characters. Sure. I just think that he's playing Cersei along at this point, and he is, at some point he's going to look to further his own ambitions and goals. But I, I, I spoke a lot there because... As I said, the light little finger is one of my favourite characters, so sure. I'll analyse his scenes in particular a lot more. Well, how would you evaluate Lord Baelish's position and, and, and where he stands with his – where does his loyalties lie? Yeah, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right that he's, you know, he's, just, he's playing both ends against the middle, which is what we've, which is what we've come to expect from him. And, and I think that's – I agree with you. I think that's a really cool – sort of uh, stance for characters to take and, and, and or positions for characters to take and actions for them to uh, enact and, and all that. I'm just wondering, you know, we've already seen him betray a Stark once. I'm, I'm wondering if, if he's going to betray a Stark again. I think he's going to go with whoever gives him the most power. And I think, you know, he built up Sansa because I think he thinks that she could be, uh, you know, the source of his power in the North. You know, he wants to build up himself as perhaps a, a potentially uh, sitting on the Iron Throne. You know, he, he said he, he doesn't 
wait, no, Vera said he didn't want it. Um, you know, he, you know, uh, Littlefinger is, is, is all his life has been building him up, himself up as this very powerful person. And so in, in this sequence, he could be, you know, he, this all is him trying to get control of the North. And I think once he, he thinks once he has control of the North, perhaps he can make a move on the South. And perhaps this is some kind of insurance or backup plan. I think he wants to see Stannis or or Roose Bolton go down. I think he he's right in that sense that you know there's essentially three battles, or or, or three fighters and and two battles that are are going to occur here, and he could very well take down one of them, uh, and whereas the other one will have already taken down the the the, the worst of the three. And then he'll have control of the North, and whether that is because he defeated, whether that's because uh, Stannis named Sansa Wardeness of the North, like he suggested he might, or it's because Sansa is has some level of control there because she was married to Roose Bolton. He can then, you know, use his influence over her. Perhaps he still thinks she may have feelings for him. Um, you know, it's clear that he has some kind of feelings for her because of his his love for Catelyn. So there's that. So, the, you know, I, I, again, I think you're right. He's playing both ends against the middle and he's almost creating a bit of a, a situation where he's just there to take the north so he can attack the south. I don't think he was betraying Sansa necessarily. I think his plan is to betray Cersei. Um, but then again, it's Littlefinger, so you never quite know. It was just kind of surprising to see him give up Sansa like that. But again, it's just another piece in this massive chess game that he is playing. So. But don't you think, Dominic, in this way, that by telling Cersei that Sansa is alive, in a way, it's more beneficial to him to protect her than if, for example, it's found out she's there and then and he's in cahoots with her and then perhaps a larger mass sure. was... You know, yeah, no, He's I... under threat and she's under threat as a result because they're in, in uh, cahoots with each other. Okay, it's it's obviously... Insure, assuring himself and, um, and and it's really insurance against Cersei seeing Littlefinger as some sort of um, traitor which mm. would mean that he would have some sort of bounty on his head but I think that the relationship he had with Cat and the parallels between Cat and Sansa that he sees within Sansa Stark is what's really fueling his allegiance towards her. Why, why would Littlefinger had no real care or loyalty to Ned Stark? Ned Stark, mm-hmm. in a way, took away the woman that he most desired. Sure, he had enough. no love lost between him. Okay, Ned Stark was, as we said, the title of a Stark, and he threw him under the bus. But I don't think that that situation necessarily, that same situation, can be applied in, with what's going on with Sansa and, and and Lord Baelish because of that connection with care and his affection he has towards Sansa whereas Cersei there is no real connection fair enough yeah I I, I agree I think it, uh, you know Sansa the, that bit bit of information was a piece he had to play I, I was just in the moment that was a, a moment that kind of surprised me and, and, and made me for a second wonder why he would do that but I think you're right you know thinking about it he it, it's a piece he had to play it's something that he had to do in order to secure himself in, in case like you said, somebody finds out that Sansa is alive and also to encourage uh, Cersei to allow him to go on this mission to attack the the winner of the Battle of Winterfell. Um, again, 
I, I think we're ultimately leaning, leading up to the downfall of, of Littlefinger as well. I think he he may beat Cersei in this game here, but I, I predict that he will meet his end at the hands of Sansa Stark. Um, because, like you said, he, he kind of he has this bizarre – he sees these p- parallels between her and, and Catelyn, and he has this kind of bizarre one-sided romantic relationship with her that she doesn't seem to be reciprocating. You know, there was that really creepy kiss in an earlier episode this season that kind of suggests as much. So he is kind of stuck in this this situation where he can't really – I don't think he, – he can't really win. I think that he we're leading to his downfall. I think we're leading to the downfall of Cersei. Uh, I think by the end of this season, the landscape could be very different. Um, although, been saying that for a while, and the season has been moving at a bit of a, a, a glacial pace at times. So maybe it'll be some at some point next season, the landscape will look very different because I think a lot of older characters are going older characters in terms of age are are going down, and and some of the younger characters are going to have to step up. Um, which again is what we've been saying all season. But sticking in. Uh, King's Landing. We finally see the return of, of Lady Olena, uh, and she is there for Loras's trial after he was taken by the uh, the faith uh, the faith militant uh, for the sin, quote unquote, quote unquote, uh, seriously, <laughs> the, uh, of of being gay, and um, and now he's he's on trial, and we see. You know, first we see that Lady Olena, she knows that Cersei's behind it, and and Cersei knows that she's behind it. We're seeing Cersei again. I I see the the, the way I, it, it seems the way this is going is that we're seeing Cersei be, built being built up, where she's going to be at the point where she seems like she could be, where victory could be in sight for her, and then everything is going to come tumbling to the ground for her. Which I I, I think in a in an odd sort of way parallels what happened to Rod Rob Stark. In season three, because you know, that the episode of the Red Wedding, the Reigns of Castamere, begins with him saying, "We're going to attack Castle Rock, and that could be a huge victory for them." It ends with him having a dagger drove through his heart by Roose Bolton and Catelyn being murdered by one of Walder Frey's daughters or one of daughter, Walder Frey's killed uh, children, and we're so we're left with that kind of thing. And I feel like that's sort of where we're going with Cersei, where it seems like right now she's winning; she is winning this game. Uh, Loras is in jail. Marjorie is in jail at the end of this episode, and they are going to. She looks like she's on the verge of taking down the Tyrells, and I think, but I think she's forgotten that there's still one more chip left to be played, and that is the incest chip. And uh, whether or not Lady uh, Lady Olena knows about this is the question that we have to we have to wonder about this season because she it, does know. She does know. Okay, so based on the episode season three of episode six when she spoke with Tywin, there you go, and she and she said to Tywin when Tywin was trying to um, forge a marriage between Solaris and Cersei, and I remember that one of comments from Elena to kind of stop this was that, well, you know, brothers and sisters are often frowned upon as well. Mm, that's very very I, true. I'm sure that she will be heading to the High Sparrow to enlighten as much. Um, in a way, Cersei got the better of Elena in this episode, but I don't think it will last long. And mm-hmm. I think Elena, in a way, was a little bit more hesitant than she's used to because she's trying to assess the situation and, in a way, felt that it was really Cersei just trying to intimidate the house. As she said as much, she wants to drag the Tyrell name into the dirt. But now but, now it looks like now, she's trying to disassemble the house, like just take them down completely, not just 
give them a bad name, but really ruin them. But she, but she's been warned, sir. Say that if the, the Tyrells have no heir to High Garden, then you know all of the alliance, the alliance will fall apart, which means the money and the troops and everything that's been loaned to the Lannisters will cease to exist. Yeah. Cease to, yeah. Uh, cease to do so, and, and 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 in a way, I feel that as you said, this is really going to culminate in Cersei's downfall, yeah. and that she's been driven by this real jealousy of this younger woman digging well, her claws really... to Tomlin, which of course we see has no effect in this particular episode. Mm-hmm. Tomlin doesn't even bother to help her. Yeah, well, yeah, Cersei uh, to yeah. help uh, Marjorie when she has been taken. Yeah, Cersei is basically she's driven by this this desire for power, and she sees that people are trying to take this power away from her, and so she's trying to, you know, play this game where she will have she will try and destroy these people, only to have it you know blow up in her face, and you know we know that she dismisses it when people suggest that they that they know about the incest thing. She she says, oh, there's no proof, there's no proof. Well, there's, you know. In, that's the that's what sort of has to that's what Lady Olena's task basically is for the rest of the season is to prove that Cersei is doing this. Now, all all that will really seem to do is destroy Cersei. How that will actually help Loras and um, Marjorie is is still up in the air. Only in the fact that it may finally get Cersei to say enough is enough with this whole faith militant thing. But that being said, there's there's still it, it, it's this whole. I mean, that whole trial was this was, you know, it was a, a sham. Basically, it was Cersei playing, you know, throwing down her cards and, and trying to, you know, play this what she thinks is a great hand. Um, but like we've said, you know, Lady Olena still has one card left to play, and that is the incest card. And that's where we'll most likely see things go uh, in the next next episode. So uh, before we move on to, to, to wrap up this episode and, and talk a little bit about the Game of Thrones, the musical uh, video, uh, is there anything else you want to bring up about it? About uh, I'm bowed, I'm bent, I'm broken? Nope, not, not really. I think we've gone through most of it and it'll be interested to see how it all unfolds yeah. in the next week or so. Next week with the episode. Well, well today. Oh yeah, today, tonight, yeah. With, with the episode, The Gift. Uh, again, airs in... Just just a few hours as of the time of recording, but let's let's talk about this this great video that was produced for Red Nose Day. Uh, just quickly, what did you think of it? How how hilarious was that? Oh, it was fantastic, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> I, I do love seeing the the efforts the the collaborators or um, the, the, these event makers will go to 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 construct and and design such a, a fantastic fantastically well thought out comedy uh, video really i think that the collaboration between Coldplay and a game of thrones actors was absolutely fantastic there was oh, such yeah. great rapport chemistry lots of the actors were involved the songs were also brilliant um if you're a massive game of thrones fan and you'll love to watch this video because there are so many allusions to uh, events which have happened in the series and i love the moment when you see 
Alfie Allen walk in yes. and he sees <laughs> Ramsey and there's that little bit of, oh my word, you're here, um, as though they were playing the, the characters still. And then they come in and have a massive embrace because they're big friends off the stage. <laughs> it was, uh, all of it was great. And then we obviously had the, the songs which were sung by Daenerys or um, Amelia Clark. Amelia Clark, um, and then the character, uh, the actor Jamie Lannister, Tyrion, of course, Peter Dinklage. So that was all. That was, was all so well, funny. well executed, wasn't yeah. it, Dominic? Oh yeah, it was. It was great. All, all of it. Like even, even the stuff with uh, one of the, the best bits for me was right off the beginning was when Mark Addy, who played uh, Robert Baratheon, is sitting there, and it's just him and, and the guy who played uh, Ramsay, and they're the only two there. And he sort of looks at the camera and goes, "I thought Sean Bean would be a." It was me a fiver. That, that was just, I just about died when that happened. And you're right, the songs, especially the uh, Kit Harrington singing the, the Wildling song and, and, and Rose Leslie sitting there and, and just being all into it. And of course, you know nothing, Chris Martin. And, and, and the other great moment was uh, John Bradley, who's uh, Samuel Tarley, with, uh, at, at, the, uh, at the dinner or at the lunch uh, table. And the kid who plays Jojen Reed comes up and says to him, you know, oh, I'm having a vision. Don't eat the nuggets. And then promptly orders the nuggets for himself. And it was just it was all so well done. And the songs are, are hilarious. And, and everything about it was was brilliant. Right down to, to Liam Neeson narrating it. I mean, how do you get better than Liam Neeson as the narrator? Um, but, yeah, it, it was so funny. If you, if you haven't seen this, you got you to gotta go watch it. There's so many great little great just – Oh, great lines everything about it is hilarious the music is is fun and uh you know you almost want these songs I, I almost want all of these songs just to, to download them and put them on my phone because they're they're you know there's a bit where nikolai coster Waldo, who plays jamie says you know it's, it's funny i i think this is great i think it'll work on stage and i could like hear it on the radio and then you know they go into his song i'm like this is so funny i i want to yeah let's 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 put this on the radio it's 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 that great and uh and of course it was all done for for a good cause for for red nose day and 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 all that so so definitely check it out it's 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 oh it's so funny and how do you get better than than rastafari and targaryen it's 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 brilliant it's brilliant all right so with that let's move on to our favorite quotes from the episode this is the time where we shine the spotlight on the great writing and some of the great quips and lines and uh the funny moments the serious moments the epic moments from the series by sharing some of the best lines so I'll throw it over to you first, Kieran. Uh, what is your what is one of your favorite lines from this episode? Um, I will. I can't remember exactly what the line was precisely, but I can remember the moment. It's been a while since I watched this episode. I will apologize for that. But it's when Jorah and Tyrion have been captured, <laughs> and <laughs> and um, the the slavers are saying, "Right, we're going to take Jorah because he'll be useful," but. Tyrion, he's a dwarf. He'll be useless. Cut off his neck, uh, cut his throat, and then uh, we'll take his cock, as they say, um, and they'll sell it on the market because the dwarf's cock has magic attached to it. <laughs> and then Tyrion's there, pleading, pleading, no, 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 don't. And then he's, <laughs> he says, you can't kill me because they'll, they'll need to know that it's from a dwarf. And they'll say, well, well, they'll be able to know because they're insinuated so they'll be quite small. And he says, guess again. And it's just the way that that's executed was so funny. And Peter Dinklage is just an amazing actor, really. And uh, particularly his portrayal of Tyrion, it's, uh, it's, un- it's unmatched, really. 
that was the main scene that, that really got me. What about you? I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, Dominic. well, I'll, I'll add on to that because the line that follows it is also hysterical. <laughs> when the um, when the pirate says, uh, you know, he decides to let Tyrion live and he says, the dwarf lives until we find a cock merchant. <laughs> and it was, I mean, that, that was a definite uh, laugh out loud moment. Uh, but uh, another great moment was when uh, Littlefinger came face to face with uh, Lancel Lannister there in the in the streets, and and Littlefinger says, uh, "We both peddle fantasies, brother Lancel. Mine just happened to be entertaining." So some some uh, some Ooh, clever yeah some clever writing, some clever lines. A- any other ones you want to uh, want to bring up? Uh, sadly, it's been a long time since I saw this one. One next time, I will be writing them down and having them documented. So, for the sadly, no, but there were a lot of moments which, of course, stood out as being good, and a lot of them we've already spoken about, particularly with Lord Baelish. Yeah, absolutely. So that is going to wrap things up for this week. It's been a it's been an interesting show. We dealt with some. Some intense topics, we dealt with some fun topics, and we dealt with everything in between. So, to wrap things up, I'll throw it over to you, Karen, for your final thoughts and a score out of 10 for Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken. Final thoughts. I thought this episode was... I thought it was a very good episode, personally. I really enjoyed the character interaction that we're really seeing between the likes of Jorah and Tyrion although it may not have had great significance in the overall plot of those two characters, we do see poignant moments such as when Tyrion reveals to Jorah that his father was killed by his own Night's Watch men, and I thought that was, um, again, brilliantly played once again by Ian Glenn, I believe uh, the actor's name is. And um, I I just loved... that that really represented the case in point in this episode. It was a lot of character interaction. You saw Lord Baelish from Cersei, which we've spoken about, Olenna and Marjorie, the inquest. We then, of course, see the character interaction between Reek and Sansa, just those two characters on their own. Again, that was quite an interesting one where Sansa refused to um, take the arm of Eon Greyjoy because of what he'd done to her family, and it, this is what we really got to see. It was it was really more close. It was a it's seemingly more intense. We're focusing on specific characters. So for me, that that, that was something that I really enjoyed about this episode. Hopefully, these plots really develop a lot more, and we begin to see the momentum building. I know we're getting towards the end of this season now, but something's got to happen. So uh, I'm assuming that there there will be a big bang at some point that will make everybody absolutely shocked. So for me, I would probably give this episode an eight out of ten. Right. Not the same score you'll be giving it no. that much, but I'll uh, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, like all episodes, this episode had this episode had its moments. Uh, absolutely, I, I, I did enjoy the the stuff between uh, Tyrion and Jorah. I thought their their uh, interaction was interesting, and uh, I, I, it's a it's an interesting pairing. It's one I didn't think we would see, but I, I'm I'm glad we're seeing it. And I, I'd like to see more of it. Uh, I, I also. Uh, I like the stuff in King's Landing. I thought that was very well played. I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff going on there between Cersei and, uh, and Lady Olenna and Loras and, and Marjorie, as well as with Littlefinger. I thought all of that was interesting. Um, again, 
the uh, the Sand Snake stuff, while there was some interesting moments beforehand, uh, it, it didn't play out the way I would have liked it. It was it didn't have the gravitas I felt it needed. It, it felt just like a, a just a, a bit of a, a short action sequence that wasn't all that well pulled off. Um, and and you know I come to expect a, a little bit more from the show than than what we saw in in those moments. Uh, and then of course you know again the the Sansa thing. Uh, it was a it was a brutal scene. It was an uncomfortable scene to watch. And uh, you know, I, again, I understand where people are coming from when they say they're done with the show. Uh, but I, I I I suggest if you feel that way, you you give it another episode. See if they deal with it. How they deal with it. And uh, you know, because that's that's the thing. You know, these big moments happen. It's not so much about the moment. It's about what happens after it. You know, the the big battle is always at the end of the movie because it, suge- it suggests that everybody will live happily and after happily ever after at the afterward you know once the movie is over you know the battle is there to show that good has triumphed over evil and now good can live on happily this scene happened in at the end of an episode yes but in the middle of a season so there's still a lot left to go and we have to see you know how good which is sansa reacts to having you know one of the worst things that can happen to a human being happen to her right there and you know if it if it's not dealt with then you know then we have to progress from there but for the moment i'm willing to give the show you know uh, and i expect the show to do this to deal with it in a proper way in a way that we that shows that this was not done uh purely for shock value it was done to advance sansa's story and lend us more insight into her character and how she may have evolved just from season one to now and and how you know season one sansa would have dealt with it versus season five sansa plus what it means for theon because witnessing that um is also pretty horrific not as horrific as having it happen to you but pretty pretty bad as well so there 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 was that so for me i I give this episode kind of a five and three quarters (laughs) out of ten it's a you know it had its good moments but but overall it was uh you know, I, I feel like we're in a bit of a mid-season slump, to be perfectly honest. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing where they go next and, and seeing what happens from this point on. So that will wrap things up for us this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we should be back next week on Thursday. Look for a Thursday morning. That's fingers crossed that, that we are able to keep that schedule. I, I know it's it's horrible form to not be able to keep a schedule. But like I said at the beginning of the episode, just so much has changed since the, since uh since the, the last episode uh in in my personal life that we're kind of stuck working on uh trying to work around it and uh and hopefully we'll be able to do so because uh we love doing this show we love talking about game of thrones and and uh but the same thing goes for the clone war strikes back which is our other podcast we'll talk about in a second but uh before we do that kieran i'll, I'll throw it over to you is, is expression fm still going or are you guys uh done for the year no, it is still going. We've Good. got a number of shows still lined up, and um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to more expression sport coverage coming out now. Less about football because the Premier League season's actually just finished now, mm. and it's all about you now. can talk cricket. Ah, I was going to say you should talk about the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, the ice hockey. <laughs> you know what? I, I was recently playing a game actually for the first time on PlayStation Four about ice hockey. Yeah, and it was so entertaining that. I, in a way, I'm nearly inspired to to watch the ice hockey in general now because it looks like a lot of fun and do it. Um, I, I I feel that I may be induced to do so <laughs> in the near future. 
but for now, sadly, expression sport coverage does not cover ice hockey. I, hopefully, it will do in the future. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, the cricket is the main one at the moment. We've got the cricket varsity nice. for the university um, taking place tomorrow. So that should be really good fun. And linking on to that, we have got the big X-Media Cup this week, which encompasses all of the... Ex- media institutions of Exeter universities competing against each other at football it'll be interesting cool. we are a competitive bunch but <laughs> some rivalries are stronger than others in a, a not so pleasant way but anyway um in terms of expression support coverage you may well hear some commentary on that um so hopefully uh you'll be able to find out about that in the next week or so um in terms of how you can get in contact with expression we have our Facebook page, which is www.facebook.com slash expressionfm. Our Twitter handle is at expressionfm. And you can also listen to us, more importantly, on our website, www.expression.fm. Dominic, I'll throw it over to you to disclose your own podcast. Yes, and that's expression with an X, no E at the beginning of that. Uh, but yeah, I will, uh, uh, of course, I want to remind everybody about the Star Wars Underworld podcast. That podcast is recorded weekly on Thursday nights at, uh, at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on channel1138.com and released in the following Friday on iTunes. It's where we go over all of the latest breaking Star Wars news, what happened that week, any Star Wars media releases like episodes of Rebels, books, comics, all that fun stuff, as well as breaking down all the latest news. There's all kinds of fun stuff happening in the Star Wars galaxy right now. There's The Force Awakens, Rogue One, Star Wars Rebels, Star Wars Battlefront, and so much more going on. So you definitely want to check that out if you are into Star Wars. Speaking of Star Wars, you also want to check out our other podcast, The Clone Wars Strikes Back. That's where we talk about the uh, Emmy Award-winning animated series, Star Wars The Clone Wars. We break down each and every episode and episode arc over there. We just wrapped up the Darth Maul arc from Season 5. It's a great uh, it's a great episode. You definitely want to check it out. Also, it's the episode that finally features our interview with James Arnold Taylor, who voiced Obi-Wan Kenobi on The Clone Wars, as well as countless other characters. He, was, he gave us a... a, a a phenomenal phenomenal interview where we talked about so many great things he's told some great behind the scenes stories and uh, gave us some great insight into obi-wan and and a lot of the characters he played so you definitely want to check that out you can find that uh, again by searching for uh, star wars underworld on on itunes you subscribe there you get that show and the star wars underworld podcast uh, also star wars underworld.com is the place to find that star wars underworld podcast the latest star wars on, and all the latest star wars news and then of course on facebook and twitter uh, by searching for the clone wars strikes back for this show, you can find us on Facebook. Just go to uh, facebook.com slash Watchers of Westeros or just search for the Watchers of Westeros there. Give us a like. That's way, that way you will never miss a new uh, episode. You can subscribe on iTunes. Search for the Watchers of Westeros. Subscribe there. Never miss a new episode. And if you have time, leave, leave us a review, preferably a five-star one. Uh, good, we, we love all reviews, especially the good ones. So definitely, if you have a moment, please do that. Uh, also, Twitter, you can follow us at Watcher Westeros. Yeah, there's, uh, that's Watcher without an S. It's not plural uh, because of the Twitter length restrictions on the on your handle. So it's at Watcher Westeros. You can follow me personally at DominicJ25. You can follow Kieran at CDuggan6. So that will do it for this week. Like I said, we'll be back next week, hopefully, hopefully, on Thursday to talk about the seventh episode of season six which air begins airing in just under four hours from now so uh 
Uh, you'll probably have seen it by the time you're listening to this. But uh, we'll be back to talk about that, like I said, on Thursday. So keep an eye on all the places I just mentioned for where you can find that. So thank you, everybody, for listening. So for the Watchers of Westeros, I'm Dominic. Uh, I'm Kieran. <laughs> close. You know what? We were so close to getting it right there. So oh, we'll get it right. We will get it all right. By, by the time, time by the time we've reached the end of season season five, hopefully we'll got we'll have gotten it right. If not, season six premiere. That's the that's the new target. Anyways, thank you again for listening, and until next <laughs> ne- next time, remember, we never stop playing. What now? I'm a Rastafarian, Targaryen. I got some dragons and they are very scary. And been here and there and then I've been everywhere again. Rastafarian, Targaryen. Call me the nearest Targaryen when you wanna reach me. And if you feel the love, then you can call me Kali. See, got so many names. I'm Queen of the Andals, Queen of the Marine. Yeah, you can kiss me sandals. 